This podcast is brought to you by the Pro Bono Institute. PBI is a nonprofit organization that supports, enhances, and helps to transform the pro bono efforts of major law firms, in-house corporate legal departments, and public interest organizations in the U.S. and around the world. Welcome to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. I'm your host, Nihad Mansour, Assistant Director of the Law Firm Pro Bono Project. Through its Law Firm Pro Bono Challenge and Corporate Pro Bono Challenge initiatives, Pro Bono Institute has supported hundreds of law firms and in-house legal departments that have committed to providing pro bono legal services to those in need. Currently, 135 major law firms and 191 in-house legal departments are signatories to the challenges acknowledging their institutional commitment to use their unique legal skills to make communities stronger. Both the Law Firm Pro Bono Challenge and CPBO Challenge initiatives have become industry standards. Signatories to the Law Firm Challenge have committed to provide either 3% or 5% of their total billable hours to pro bono legal services. And corporate pro bono signatories have committed to encourage at least 50% of their legal staff to pro bono. Together, signatories have provided millions of hours of pro bono services per year. Each year, the challenge signatories report on their pro bono data and note remarkable pro bono work they've done in the prior year. To highlight and showcase some of the impactful work and commitment of challenge signatories, PBI has launched the Challenge Signatory Showcase. As part of this showcase, today I'm speaking with Dan Wolf, who is a partner at Kroll & Mooring, a PBI challenge signatory firm. In a pro bono case, Kroll and Mooring represented residents of Baltimore's Harlem Park, a predominantly black neighborhood, who filed a federal court lawsuit against the Baltimore City Police Department and former police commissioner, Ken Davis. The residents' lawsuit charged that their state and federal constitutional rights were violated during a six-day multi-block lockdown of their neighborhood following the shooting death of Detective Sean Souter. Kroll successfully represented the residents in reaching a settlement and obtaining a rare public apology from the city of Baltimore and the Baltimore Police Department. The settlement included significant policing policy reforms, an official apology from the police, and monetary compensation. Kroll and co-counsel ACLU of Maryland represented the residents in Holmes versus Baltimore Police Department. Keep listening to hear more about this case. This lawsuit was one that we at Kroll and Mooring partnered with the ACLU of Maryland in bringing against the Baltimore City Police Department. And it stemmed from a 2017 incident in which a police officer was shot and killed. And in the course of their immediate investigation uh, of that killing, the police department more or less locked down an entire community for a week. And so really it was a question of civil rights rooted in the Fourth Amendment's guarantee against unreasonable searches and seizures. You know, as a practical matter, everyone in that neighborhood, the Harlem Park neighborhood of Baltimore, was effectively treated as a suspect. And that to us in the ACLU of Maryland really posed grave constitutional concerns to their civil liberties and civil rights. I will give one shout out to a former partner of ours, Rick Beiser who uh, was with Kroll and Mooring for the better part of a year leading up to the filing of the complaint. He then, he left Kroll, but um, uh, I don't want to leave him out. He, uh, he was instrumental in, in the early days of developing the complaint. The core team 
of lawyers was Aster Heaven. Helen Oganyanwo formerly went by Osin, um, and Eli Burns ZF. So uh, we uh, we were on it from the beginning. So what was the most challenging part of this pro bono work and how did you and your pro bono team overcome it? Yeah, great question. So I'll, I'll break it into sort of three different buckets. First, I think as a legal matter, a, a challenge was trying to find that line between, you know, what's a responsible police reaction to the killing of a police officer on the one hand, and then the rights of citizens to be free from government suspicion and investigation absent probable cause at the individual level on the other. And that just took, you know, legal thinking and creativity and until we were happy with how we had framed the case. And frankly, that's what took the better part of a year um, as we put the complaint together. Although in combination with the second challenge, which was identifying affected citizens, not only who were willing to tell us, behind closed doors, what their stories were, what their experiences were at the hands of, of the Baltimore City Police and subject to the lockdown, but also willing to stick their neck out and become the plaintiffs in the face of the complaint. You know, in thinking about that, it's, it's easy to point the finger in a crowd at police misconduct. And of course, with the news today of, you know, of, of, of the brutal beating and death in, in Memphis, you know, it, it just reminds us that it, it sort of never goes, it's a problem that never goes away. But I think it's another thing entirely to stick your neck out and be the, the plaintiff that actually sues the police. You know, especially in a city like Baltimore, and especially when you're from a minority community or a black community, where that relationship between the police department and the minority communities are already so fraught. So identifying plaintiffs to step forward was definitely a challenge. And and frankly, I give credit to the ACLU of Maryland for really being for solving that because they were on the front line of intake and of interviewing in the first instance potential plaintiffs and did a just a, a magnificent job. And that's the that's the work they do day in and day out, and they do a great job at it. The final challenge was, you know, sort of setting expectations. So once we had our plaintiffs, how do we, uh, you know, sort of caution them that this is not necessarily an easy case to bring. There was not a whole lot of precedent, really any precedent for what we were doing. And, you know, we had challenges both in setting expectations for personal damages and then also for, you know, equitable relief. And even once the city came to the settlement table, which was uh, a great uh, sign for us that we had written and filed a, a, a meaningful complaint, you know, there was a question of what do we ask for at the settlement table? How do you put a value on civil rights? Seemingly you can't, but at the same time, you know, as, as lawyers, we, we were cautious. We didn't want to ask for too much and risk pushing the city away from the settlement table, which would force us, you know, to go to court and to try that case and then put us back at risk of, of, of getting nothing for our clients. So I think that was just, um, you know, how do we solve that? That was, you know, talking with the city. And I've got to, frankly, give credit to the attorneys for the city of Baltimore. I think they came to the settlement table in good faith. And they were honest brokers and partners at the settlement. And, and then we just had to, you know, sort of have a back and forth with our clients about what was acceptable. And in the end, I think that we, uh, I, I think we got a great deal for the, for, for the plaintiffs, but it was challenging to get there. Why was this a rewarding case for you to work on? I like to do civil rights work. I think it's inherently valuable and rewarding. 
you know, just generally, I, I love being a, a lawyer and Kroll has an incredible uh, pool of talent, you know, but it's inevitable day to day in what we do for our commercial clients that, you know, results can, can frequently be viewed as, you know, transactional at the end of the day. You know, as a litigator, winning is obviously a measure of success of a job well done, but, you know, but to our commercial clients, Although winning is obviously always important and always better than losing, ultimately everything boils down to business. And after a victory, life moves on and you go to the next matter, the next dispute. And that's why I say it, you know, it can end up seeming transactional. But, you know, in a civil rights case like this, you know, winning is more than just a job well done. Winning is more than just saying you won and to our clients. I think, I don't want to overstate it, but I, I do think that there was a genuine piece of um restorative justice uh, to this uh, case. I think there was a genuine return of dignity in what we were able to achieve at the settlement table and not just the monetary award to the individuals, which I think, you know, was itself meaningful, but even more so the commitments from the police department to make institutional change and institutional reform to their policies. And then, you know, it was huge uh, that we got a public apology the plaintiffs in the in the community, the citizens of Harlem Park, got a public apology from the city and the and the police department. You know that that to me is meaningful, lasting relief. It's not merely transactional; it's emotional and it's psychological. And I think that was the biggest reward. What impact did this pro bono work have? Well, again, I don't I don't want to overstate the importance because you know life goes on, and for the reasons I said earlier, like you know these incidents unfortunately continue to happen, and they will continue to happen. But I do think that at a, at a societal level, that the police policy reforms that the city of Baltimore committed to, we were able to negotiate, will present a meaningful opportunity for better police relations in the city of Baltimore. And frankly, I think that's what makes this the impact case. The individual damages awards were, were certainly very nice, but the impact here comes through the police reforms that the city committed to. Obviously there was no, uh, you know, because this was a settlement, there was no jury verdict. There was no court decision that we'll be able to cite to as a precedent, but there is that public apology from the city and a commitment to reform. And I've got to be honest, um, the outcome here was about as great as we had hoped it could be. And I mean, I feel like we really did obtain the best possible outcome here for our clients, both for these specific plaintiffs and for communities like Harlem Park in the city of Baltimore, who have you know no guarantees, but at least some assurances that are committed to in a settlement agreement in federal court that the Baltimore Police Department is committed to, you know, making changes and not repeating the mistake that it made at Harlem Park. So, you know, that I think that's what makes this the impact case that that we we feel it was. Uh, because it wasn't enough to get money. It wasn't enough, even frankly, to get the policy changes. There had to be some acknowledgement. And I, I again, I, I, I the, the quickness with, with which the city came to the settlement table always indicated to me that, <laughs> at least in the lawyer's view representing the city, they knew the police department messed up and they messed up big. And I, I've never doubted that for a minute. I've never doubted for a minute that that. And this is in, in this and this is where I think we can take some credit as lawyers. I've never doubted for a minute that the complaint that we filed dowed a substantial doubt 
in the minds of the lawyers for the city of Baltimore um, that they would be able to prevail. And I certainly, and, and, and I mean, I, I know, I know with a certainty that they didn't want the PR mess uh, that would have come with a public trial. But the public apology was huge, and I'm glad that we got it. What advice would you give other firms that want to do similar pro bono work? Yeah, I, it's the same advice I give to colleagues here. It's just take it on. Um, there is no end, as you know. There is no end to the need for legal services. Um, and I, you know, my own view is that there's no higher professional reward than to have a role in, vindic in, in vindicating the civil rights of, you know, our fellow citizens. So for me, it's an honor, and we could all want to be doing this as lawyers. So just jump in and say yes, that we all have transferable skills. Um, yeah. That's that's the, the beauty of being a lawyer. So we could we could put them to work in the, in the public, in, in the pro bono <laughs> space. Thanks to Dan Wolf for his leadership and expertise. And special thanks to Kroll and Mooring for doing great work and being a law firm pro bono challenge signatory. Be sure to like and subscribe to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now, and thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Pro Bono Happy Hour.